hope it doesn't get tired. I hope it doesn't become something that becomes so repetitive that we lose the meaning of it. But I really truly believe that we're all active participants in the preaching of God's word. Because we're all engaged in the activity of the Holy Spirit. It's the activity of the Holy Spirit that reveals the word of God to our hearts. That moves it from our heads intellectually to our hearts and internalizes it and changes us. And so, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence. Lord, as we've even, we've even sensed your presence in, in times of worship, as you've manifested yourself in our hearts and in our lives, corporately and individually, God, we recognize your presence here, not just to give us good feels and good vibes, but Lord, you're here to change us. You're here to impact us to look more and more like Jesus each day. You're here to challenge us and to convict us. You're here to encourage us and to lift up our heads. You're here to strengthen those that are weak. You're here to bind up the brokenhearted among us. Lord, would you do all that you are here to do? And Lord, we position our hearts to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Well, today we are introducing a new series called Renaissance. Renaissance. In the French, Renaissance means rebirth. Rebirth. And we believe that God is calling us to a revival or a renewed interest in the things of faith. And so as we take this series, as we walk through, we want to kind of inspire one another in community to greater things. D.L. Moody said this, there are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do the little things. There are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few are willing to do the little things. I would like to add to this thought. I believe that the little things precede the great things. That's a biblical interpretation of life and journey of faith. The little things precede the great things. It's always an accumulation of the little things that acclimate us to being the people that can do great things. I believe God's calling us to this. Like I said, the French word renaissance is translated rebirth. I believe God's calling his people to a rebirth of some of the practical and classical practices of faith that have been lost in our culture and our society. The things that have become very, very hard for us to do in a culture that is so distracted and so busy and so full of stuff. I believe God's calling his people back to some things to some classical practices of faith that will position us in a way that we will know the presence of God and he'll change us and he'll inspire us and he'll use us to do great things. I recently returned to the gym and the first week, the first six weeks, you know what happens when you return to the gym? The first weeks, six weeks? Nothing. Nothing happens. I step on the scale every day, nothing, I, in fact, it goes up a couple points. 
I look at my, my flexibility, it gets worse because I have all this lactic acid in my, in my body now and I can't even stretch and touch my toes anymore. The only thing that happens in the first week is pain and this nagging sense of you're wasting your time. So does that mean I'm wasting my time? Of course not. Of course not. Because we know that over time, there's an accumulation. There's an accumulation when it comes to health of good decisions and good practices. Working out is doing the little things each day that accumulate over time to great change. Your body in time acclimates to the rigors that you put it through. I want to convince you today that your faith journey is no different. Your faith journey is the same thing. I believe the Spirit wants to convince each of us that he's calling us to return to a renaissance, to a rebirthing, if you will, of the practices of faith. If you're taking notes, write this down. Any renaissance of faith requires a renewed inspiration to know God and a willingness to do the little things to achieve that end. Any renaissance of faith requires a renewed inspiration to know God, to be intimate with him, to know his presence, and a willingness to do the little things to achieve that end. The little things that position you each day to hear his still small voice. The little things each day that cause you to be positioned to know his presence. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 10. Verses 6 to 10. And Paul is writing to his son, really, in the faith. And he says this. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Paul the Apostle, he's writing this letter to Timothy, a young man who he considers to be a son in the faith. And, and Timothy is leading the church that he planted in the, in the city of Ephesus. And I love the word that he uses here. He says, put these things before the brothers. And the word in the Greek, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It's going to come up in the next quote on the screen. You'll see it. But William Barclay, he says this about that word. There's a word that describes that phrase that we have in the English. Put these things before the brothers. William Barclay in his commentary about Ephesians, he says this. It tells us how to instruct others. The word used for laying these things, and you can see it there in parentheses, before the brothers is significant. It does not mean to issue orders, but rather to advise, to suggest. It is a gentle, humble, and modest word. It means that teachers must never dogmatically and belligerently lay down the law. 
It means that they must act rather as if they were reminding people of what they already knew or suggesting to them. Not that they should learn from them, but that they should discover from their own hearts what is right. I would add to William Barclay, I I would add to that, I would say discover from their own hearts in partnership with the Spirit what is right. There's something powerful about your journey of self-discovery set in moments of the Holy Spirit revealing truth and guiding our lives. I'm not going to bring up names or ministries. Many of you would know some of these, but they're quite profound, and they're ministries, and they had leaders that were very, let's, let's use the word dictatorial, dictatorial leaders, domineering leaders. And they created this culture, and there's some ministries that we've seen, and we see it over and over and over again, that these ministries, they have these big growth moments because some people, some, especially my generation as millennials, any millennials in the room, sometimes you just want someone to tell you what to do. You don't want to go through the hard work of discovering it for yourself. You just want, just tell me what to do. Forget walking me through a process. I just tell me what to do. You go to a counselor, just tell me what to do. Tell me what's wrong and then what do I need to do? But unfortunately, over and over, I see these ministries, they come up and they spread up and then they very quickly dissolve and die. Because ownership is on the leader and it's not on the follower. Ownership is left with the leader and it's not with the follower. There's something powerful about the individual discovering a revelation of Jesus that changes their lives. There's something powerful when you move from, I have to do this. I have to live my life this way. I have to go to church. I have to pray. I have to read my Bible. I have to, I have to, I have to. There's something powerful when we shift, when we get a glimpse of God when we get a glimpse of him in his throne room, Aaron, the train of his glory fills the temple and the elders surrounding go, holy, 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 holy. We get a glimpse of the glory of God and we change, we shift from I have to to I get to. I get to, I get to be in the presence of God. I get to gather as his church. I get to be in prayer and in communion with God. I get to be in his word, growing in my knowledge and revelation of Jesus and my Father God. There's something powerful when we are invited and inspired into the revelation of Jesus as opposed to someone just telling us that we should. It's the difference between I have to, shifting to I get to, be in love with Jesus. Instead of I have to change my life, I get to change my life and walk in fullness of life. There's something powerful about this word, this invitation and friends, sometimes we need to check ourselves because we, we always attempt to make decisions for others. That's, that's our default position. We would, we would much rather just make decisions for others. I, 
am a horrible personality type. Because if I just default to my defaults, I can be that dominating, domineering, horrible, horrible person that just wants to tell you how to live your life. It would be so much easier. But that's not true. That's not true. There's something powerful about you discovering your need for a Savior. There's something powerful about you discovering that Jesus loves you and he's for you and he's with you. To dictate change or to lead someone to discover the need for change. And, and, and I bring this up because often we, we, we become so overzealous in our ideals of what a Christian should look like and we, and we become very overzealous in the timeline of how that should happen. And I bring that up because we're trying to create a culture at Evangel, a safe place I would even go as far as saying safe places. That we as a church would become safe places wherever we find ourselves in this community. For people to explore faith in Jesus. To receive his love and to look more and more like him each day. And the reason we need to become those safe places is because we can't dictate people's lives. The power is not in you dictating the way someone should live their life. Or when they come to Jesus, dictating how quickly they need to look more and more like Jesus each day. I've seen it too often in the church. People come to Christ, and they come out of their mess and their brokenness. And then there's this expectation that they look like mature believers right away. It's ridiculous. We need to be careful that we don't become overzealous and become dictatorial and become those that judge others based on their growth in the spirit and their growth in the faith. Don't outrun the revelation of the spirit in other people's lives. Don't outrun it. God will get there. God will do it. I wonder how often we discount the work of the spirit in the arena of discipleship and how often we run ahead of his working. And it's funny because it's never in our own lives that we outrun. It's always in others. You ever notice that? You notice that? You never outrun the Holy Spirit convicting your own life. More often than not, you're outrunning the Spirit in other people's lives. Any renaissance of faith requires a renewed inspiration. That's personal, that's individual. A renewed inspiration to know God and a willingness to do the little things to achieve that end. Now with that said, like we're still called to uphold righteousness. We're still called to hold one another accountable. We're still called to confess our sins to one another. That's all still there. But it's not an either or situation. This is a tension that we manage and we'll manage it until Christ comes again. But if I'm going to err on the side of anything, I want to err on the side of grace. Paul goes on. You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. The word trained is an interesting word. It, it speaks of being built up or trained up. But if you, if you do a little more digging, the root, uh, it speaks of feeding, this idea that, that what you feed gets stronger. 
the parts of your life that you feed will, will take you in the driver's seat. And, and I was, I was, as I was preparing, we all know the, we all know the parable um, of the two wolves. And I'm not going to get into that. But depending on, on what you train up will determine the trajectory of your life. The gospel presents you with an interesting decision that must be made daily. Walking in faith is about course corrections daily. It's about anticipating the trajectory, where you're going, what your finish line is, having a clear understanding of Jesus as our finish line. Personal relationship, knowing him, and one day, that day when we stand with him in eternity, that's our finish line. I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago, and, and, and there was an author, his name is S.C. Gwynn, and he wrote a book called The Empire of the Summer Moon. And he tells the story of the Comanche people who lived on the borders of Mexico and, and Western and, and, and Southwestern America. And there were a nomadic people who controlled the largest territories during the 18th and the 19th centuries, which consequently I, I felt like this fit a little bit because the Renaissance was somewhere between the 14th to the, they say like, if you're, if you're stretching it a little bit, about the 18th century. And so it kind of fits this timeline, this sort of theme that we have going. But there were this nomadic people, and they had this moniker that was a title, Lords of the Plains. And you might ask, why, why did they have this moniker? Now, the Comanche people were already very proficient with the bow and the arrow. Like, very proficient. But the game changer came when the Spaniards lost a bunch of horses. Now, the Spaniards introduced horses to the Americas. And so they brought these horses and they had them and, they, and they, there was, there was a, a big moment where quite a, like thousands of them got away and they went out into the plains and they became wild and they bred and, and they became a part of the wildlife of the American plains. And here's what's interesting. The Comanche became early adopters of using horses. In fact, they became so good at breaking, training, and riding horses that it amazed many of the Europeans who already knew horsemanship. That's a word, right? And they were amazed. Any observations, there's recordings and observations that this author found. They were amazed at their horsemanship. They were amazed at how they could ride horses and shoot bow and arrow and do what they did on horseback. And here's what's interesting. The Comanche people had a rich heritage. They had rich tradition. What they could have done is said, that's just not the way we do things. And if they had, they would have rejected the horse as a technology to use, and they would have simply been a bit of a footnote in American history. But instead, they took the opportunity to train and to be built up in horsemanship they became the greatest tribe on the American plains. In fact, they had more territory than any other tribe on the American plains. Even the Texas Rangers didn't stand a chance against them until the technology of the Colts five and six shooter came on the scene.
I think we can all relate to this. Because we get to choose the continuing, we get to choose to continue living life as business as usual, with Jesus as just an add-on. Or we get to choose to be all in on Jesus. Not just as an add-on to our life, but as life itself. Jesus comes along and he changes everything, but we have to receive it. That's why when we retooled our vision statement, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, it used to be encounter his love. But friends, it's not enough to encounter his love. You have to receive his love. You have to receive this gift of salvation. There's a choice that is on us. The onus is on us to receive. Will we be all in on being trained up in this faith that he declared and he modeled as he walked this earth? Paul says the good doctrine, the good doctrine that speaks of a completely different pattern and way of living. A different foundation to build your life on. It's a rejection of the old way and a practice of new things. A practice of new things, a training in new things. But it's all a moot point until we, each of us, come to those moments over and over again where we choose the words of faith and good doctrine. We have to choose it. Daily, we have to choose it. And these are the practices of faith. This is what inspires us moving and positioning ourselves to know Jesus. For those exploring faith with us, doctrine, it means this. The body of teachings of the Christian faith concerning its central beliefs. Doctrine is grounded in scripture and aims to maintain the integrity of Christianity by distinguishing it from non-Christian beliefs. Doctrine tells us that we are only victorious through Jesus Christ. Doctrine tells us that salvation is a mercy and a grace that we don't deserve and has been extended to us anyway because of the unfathomable love of God. Doctrine tells us that Jesus, God's son, is the only way to eternal life. To build your life on the doctrines of faith is to adopt a new way of life a new way of living, a better way of living that makes you victorious. Words of faith and doctrine are a part of the small things, the little things that we apply each and every day and the accumulation of that lifestyle, the accumulation of that kind of way of living acclimates us to be mature believers that can be held responsible for greater things in the kingdom of heaven. Any renaissance of faith requires a renewed inspiration to know God and a willingness to do the little things to achieve that end. There's a power in the gospel that moves beyond the day of salvation into the everyday of living a life that looks more and more like Jesus each day. In verse 7, Paul says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. 
For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Paul says, don't get sidetracked with silly myths. You know what Paul's really saying there? Paul's saying, Timothy, keep the main thing the main thing. Words of faith and good sound doctrine. Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get sidetracked into the secondary things, into secondary things or tertiary kind of things. Keep the main thing the main thing because that is solid ground. That is solid ground. Don't get off course. I wonder how often do we get sidetracked? How, how often do we take our eyes off the ball and end up setting trajectories that take us off course? Friends, a life well lived is about constant course correction. And that's what the practices of faith lead us to. That is the point of daily being in the word of God. That is the point of daily being in prayer. Because God will correct us. And as I said before, life is all about trajectory. What is your finish line? What is your finish line? Do you have a clear finish line? And for the believer, friends, for the believer in Jesus Christ, the one renewed by the Spirit, our finish line is always and will always be Jesus Christ. He's our finish line. He's our finish line in this life and the life to come. Course correcting. A life well lived is about constant course correction with a finish line out in front. But a life squandered is a life that is taken where the tides and the winds blow. In verse 8, he says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Paul, Paul's all for bodily training. So if you're hitting it hard, go for it, rock and roll. There's some added value. He says there's some added value. But here's what's interesting about bodily training. It only adds value to really two parts of what make you you. Your body and your soul. And when I talk about your soul, I talk about your mind, your heart, and your emotions. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. So we all know when we're physically active... It affects not just our body, but we become, typically we feel better. Our emotional health is a little bit better, right? But really, body and soul, that's the only thing that bodily exercise touches. But training in godliness adds value to the whole. I would argue that training in godliness adds value to body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit, because that is who we are. We are body, soul, and spirit. It adds value to your life, both in the here and now, in this present age, this present time, as well as eternity that is coming. Training in godliness doesn't just affect our body, soul, spirit, but it also affects 
the here and now, the health of our lives here and now, the health of our families here and now, the health of the way we live life and the choices we make here and right now. But it also affects what's to come. What's to come in our eternal life? We've just entered the season of resolutions, the time when we promise ourselves that we will start eating right and exercising and making good decisions around relationships and life choices. But I would argue this, that much of what we make resolutions are about are resolutions to change the symptoms of not being trained up in godliness. I would argue that much of your regrets from 2019 and the things that you were resolved to walk away from and to change, and to they're not the result of, they're just symptoms of not being trained up in the spirit, not being trained up in godliness, not giving yourself daily to the course corrections, of being in God's word and being in his presence and knowing him and posturing yourself and walking in the practices of faith. Friends, I never have people come into my office in major life crisis, very rarely, where I'll ask them, have you been in the word of God? Are you in prayer? Do you know his presence? Very rarely is the answer yes. I believe the Holy Spirit is convincing us and inspiring us and calling us to a realization that much of what you don't like about your life are just symptoms. They're symptomatic of the absence of his presence and the hard work of walking in faith, walking in the disciplines of knowing him. Take a season to be trained up in the word of God and the practices of faith, and I really, truly believe it'll change everything. It'll change everything because it'll lead you to some course correcting. It'll lead you to change. The Holy Spirit will lead you to the places in your soul that you don't want to go. But when you get there, here's what I can promise you. You will be met with love and you'll be met with grace to change. I believe God is calling each of us to a renaissance, to a rebirthing of faith and faith life. Any renaissance of faith requires a renewed inspiration to know God and a willingness to do the little things to achieve that end. Finally, in verse 10, he says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God. Notice that, the, live, the, the finish line. That's the finish line. Who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. I want to point out two words as we end, and as the worship team comes back. And the two words are this, toil and strive. Toil and strive. Now in the Greek, these mean exactly what you think they mean. 
These are not feel-good words. These are not pretty words. These are not words that we enjoy or that we like. Toil and strive describes hard work. It describes tension. It describes pain, friction. These are all descriptors of change. And it doesn't matter what the change is. If you are a human being and you're going to change pain, work, toil, strife, friction, tension are all great descriptors of change. But there's a flip side to this coin because I believe fulfillment and potential, opportunity, purpose, adventure, life, these are also descriptors of change. When it comes to changing our daily activities, when it comes to changing our daily rhythms, when it comes to pursuing the things of God over the things of this world, when it comes to pursuing the things of God over the desires even of our own hearts and our own lives. Change is painful. Dr. Henry Cloud, in his book, Necessary Endings, he says, people don't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Friends, I'm at a season in my life where the pain of staying the same in this journey of faith is greater than the pain it'll take to change and to pursue and to position myself to know him in greater measure and to begin to walk in deeper measure in the practices of faith in limiting the distractions of this world of shutting off that ridiculous phone and practicing solitude and getting away and being silent with my thoughts. For some of you here, you're scared to death to be silent with your thoughts. You don't even know what to do with that. These are part of the practices of faith. Because it's not until we can move in silence and hear the voice of the Spirit. I'm reminded of Elijah who saw thunder and fire and great winds. And then he heard this still small voice, the silent, still, small voice. And that's the very thing that impacted him and changed him forever. I believe the Holy Spirit is inviting me, he's inviting you to a renaissance of faith, to a rebirthing of the things of the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. And he's not demanding it of us. He's inviting us into it. 
bow our heads. Holy Spirit, we need you. God, I can preach, I can preach a million sermons that mean nothing apart from your spirit. But in this moment, Lord, I petition and I ask, Lord, that you would come and you would inspire us to something more. That you would come in this year, 2020, and inspire us and invite us into something more. Lord, for many of us, we don't have to be convinced that these things are important. We just need a grace and a strength to walk in them in a daily way. For some of us, we do need to be convinced. Holy Spirit, would you reveal Jesus? Would you reveal that throne room where your glory fills and the elders cry, holy, holy, holy. Would you reveal the risen Savior? For some of us, we're too scared to go into the depths of our souls. Because we feel if you saw it, you'd reject us. But Lord, the truth is you already see it and you extend Jesus, and you extend love. Would you grant us grace in the year 2020 to go into the dark areas and the dark places of our soul and to submit them to Jesus? That as your church, walks in a renaissance of faith, that the accumulative effect would see mature believers rise up, that we may walk in great things for your kingdom's sake, and Lord, not for our glory, but for your glory. Not for our name's sake, but for your name's sake. In Jesus' name.